0: Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. All praises to the Most High, Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha the Hamashiach, who came and died for our sins. We want to let you know that we are coming to you live every single Shabbat, every single Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're joining us now live, Thank you so much. And please tell others we are live every week at 1 p.m. And I am Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is the pastor, Richard Washington, our father, my father. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live or even after the podcast, if we aren't able to get to your question during the live podcast, granted, we will be getting to your question the following week. So if you have any questions, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, that's scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. So, Pastor, what are we going to be dealing with today?
1: I thought we'll be able to get into the market of beast, but I uh, got a few more things to say on the seal. And if this goes OK, that means next week we'll be able to get in get into the mark but there are some more things I had to say about the seal and we want to continue with that I believe we left off last week where we were talking about the compartment functional elements of rulership and want to continue there because there are some things on rulership that we want to be able to express and then once we have expressed that that means that next week, Now that we have covered the seal of Elohim, we'll be able to make a comparison between the mark of the beast and the seal. And so that's what we're looking for. So this should be able to bring us right into the mark uh, in a way that we have a good foundation laid. So as we get ready to go into our discourse, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be able to discuss your word, and most of all, to be able to apply it in our lives. That as we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah, that we may be in your covenant promises doing the things that you have articulated in your word. For man gives us religion, but you gave us a covenant and help us to abide by it. That when you do come, you can be able to receive your people doing and saying and performing the things that you have laid down. And when the covenant, oh Heavenly Father, has been restored by your people, that we be ready to enter into eternity with Thee. These blessings and others we ask upon ourselves here, and upon each listener. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for His dear sake, we do pray. Amen, and amen. So, as I said, we'll be dealing with the compart, the compartment functional elements of rulership. Now, when we deal with the functional elements of rulership, there are several factors to this particular aspect. In rulership, we go beyond what we call recognition and representation. Now, if you remember in other discourses that we had, we talked about rep- uh, that a seal helps you to recognize something. And we also talk about a seal representing uh, something. Now we're talking about the seal as it relates to rulership, and it's very important that we understand this. So, rulership is most essential within a seal. We're not, we need in the compartment of rulership the position, the office of the one reigning, and the time which one reigns, and also uh, the territory. In which he reigns over, all of these things are contained in a seal. Now the longevity of of a ruler's uh, office, even though the time period of a ruler may not be in a seal, yet there is an awareness of how long a ruler would reign. And when we look back into antiquity, reigning kings or emperors occupied their thrones either until death or until they were taken over by another kingdom. However, uh, as various types of governments came upon the scene of this world, what we find is that his- in history, which altered the time someone would rule Even though kings rule until uh, they could no longer rule, they got sick or something, and a prince would take over in the kingship, yet their kingship continued through their successive generations uh, of their family. Prime ministers, czars, and presidents have time restraints. At this juxtaposition, let us see if we can find within this Sabbath commandment, the ruler's authority to do what he does, his territory over which he resided, and the longevity of his rulership. So let us explore the Sabbath commandment to see if the rulership's authority, the territory, and the time. We'll, <clears throat> we'll start with the authority of which we refer to as the ruler's right. We wanna look at the ruler's right. Whenever a ruler comes into his position of rulership, we question where his authority, what his authority to rule comes from. So any person who rules, they have to have the authority coming from someone. No matter whether one is a king, or prime minister, or president, a tribal leader, or governor, one's power to rule has to be derived from somewhere or somebody. Irregardless of how a ruler comes into power to rule, such rulership power must come from some source. Generally, the source from which a ruler derives his power to rule comes from his title rather than his name. Let's examine this concept and we will refer to this section as the title of authority. We're gonna look at the title of authority. Now when we consider the fact that a title can basically be used to describe one's authority, in our case a title can be used to describe at least Two things. The first thing we consider is that the title derives, the title derives, uh, title describes one's name. When one is in rulership, one's name isn't sufficient and in and of itself. One's name must be augmented with a title. All right, let us say that a ruler of an empire may have various individuals in one's empire possessing the same name. However, what distinguishes the ruler from all of the rest who has the same name as his would be the only way that we can distinguish people with the same name in the same empire they have to have a title. So let's look in the Bible. Let's look in the Bible at uh, Revelation chapter 7. And we want to look at, uh, well, let me see. Well, we look at verse number 3, Revelation 7, 3. Well, we start with verse 2, Revelation 7, 2 and 3. It says, and I saw another angel fly, fly. another angel sending these." east. Having a seal of the living Elohim, he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our Elohim and their foreheads. So what we're seeing in these two verses is talking about a sealing. Okay, it's talking about a sealing. Okay, now, when we turn to Exodus uh, chapter 20, we want to look at a few verses there in Exodus 20. Now, in Exodus 20, we want to look at verses 10 and 11. Now, remember, he said he was going to seal them in their foreheads. All right, now, here in in, in Exodus chapter uh, 20, starting with verse number 10, it says, But the seventh day is a Shabbat of Elohim, of uh, Yahuwah Elohim, in it thou should not do any work. Okay, now in verse 11, it it says, For in the six days Yahuwah Elohim made heaven and the earth. Okay, so what we're looking at, Revelation is talking about a seal. And now in the fourth commandment, or the Sabbath commandment, it's talking about Yahuwah Elohim. So what we are seeing is a title can point out two basic factors. It's not enough just to have a name. You got to have a title. The title distinguishes uh, the ruler from all other people who may have that, that particular name, but it also gives him authority to do what he's doing. So a title points out two basic factors about a ruler. Let us briefly look at these two basic factors. The first thing it points out is a ruler's position. And we refer to this as the positional power, positional power. So when you got a title, it points out your position. So we call this positional power. We refer, we generally, when we generally speak in terms of position power, positional power, it could embrace both a place and a system OK, let us consider them separately and we'll we'll uh, call the former the locational power and the latter we will refer to as the occupational, the organizational power. So when we talk about the locational power, what we're talking about is a place where power resides, the place And so we wanna look at that. So when we look at the locational power, we refer to this as what we call the locational power. So locational power may be looked upon as one's place of operations. Those who are considered to be the top ranking leaders or rulers of a domain are given special living arrangements. These special arrangements are in a certain place And this place where they are could be their headquarters where they carry out their duties. These places of power comes uh, with the position, okay? So now, what is is the position? Uh, Where is this locational power located, okay? Now, when we consider the fact that In in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, I want you to notice this. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I think we discussed this word uh, previously, but we want to look at this word remember. Now, this word remember comes from the Hebrew word zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, zakar. Now, zakar carries the meaning of to imprint. That's the that's the meaning to imprint. Okay, so in other words, when you see, Elohim says remember, he is saying he's making an imprint. Now, when we discuss the seal in Revelations chapter seven and verses two and three, it talked about the sealing, and we'll understand later on in this study is that the sealing takes place in the forehead. And the word for seal is spread spreadio. Uh spread spread g spread spread and spread means to imprint. So when you look at the seal, spread jizo, it means to imprint. And when you look at the word, remember in Exodus 20, it means to imprint. And they were to imprint this where? In the forehead. That's the mind where we reason. So what we're looking at, the headquarters of the body is the mind. So Elohim's headquarters is his mind. So from his headquarters of his mind, he wants to reach and imprint the headquarters of us, which is our minds. So in addition to the location of power, there's also the organizational power. So let us briefly look at the organizational power. So we know that if we're gonna uh, have a seal, it must have uh, headquarters or the location of power and it must have also the organization power. So when we think in terms of an organization or the organizational power, we want to first look at the root word for organization. Is it not the word organ? While an organ may be looked upon as an individual unit with a structure and a function of either a plant or an animal, when we talk about an organization, it is also indicative of a government agency which performs some specific function, okay? So now when we turn back to Exodus chapter uh, uh, 20 and we look in verse number 11, notice what it said. It says, for in six days, Yehoah Elohim made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and he rested on the seventh day, wherefore, Yah Elohim, Bless the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Okay, now, what are we seeing in these particular verses? Well, what we are seeing is, if you look uh, in verse 11, it says, Yah Elohim made the heavens and the earth. Okay, so when he made the heavens and the earth, we not only have what we call locational power, but we have organizational power which means that in order to make the heaven and the earth, he had an organization, okay? Now, consequently, when we look at an organ, that's only one. Just like a government may have one one organ to deal with the Secret Service, he may have another organ uh, to deal with transportation, and he may have another organ to deal with housing. But all of those are organs, So when we think in terms of an organization, we take many organs and we put them together to make an organization. So consequently, an organization would be the arrangement of a number of organs put together to perform some specific function. In our case, the function that we are talking about is a creator's function. In other words when creators come together now you remember the study that we had that uh, Satan when he was in heaven under the title of Lucifer he said I would be like the Most High okay now what was the problem being like the Most High was that Michael who was the son of Elohim and his name meant one who was like El or one who is like God and so Lucifer wanted to be like God, so what did he wanted to do? One of the things to be like God was to get worship. He wanted to be worshiped. But another thing that he didn't have in order to be worshiped was he wasn't a creator. See, there was only two creators. There was a father and a son that created the entire universe. We found out that it was both of them that were participating in the creation, just like when the angels bowed down and worshipped the Father, they was also worshipping the Son. So both the Father and the Son were creators, and both the Father and the Son were to be worshipped. So what we are looking at here in the organization of creating the world, who, who made up that organization? There were two people. There was a Father and His Son. There was Yahuwah, and there was Yahshua they both were the creators of the universe so therefore when we look at the organization of creation we find in the seal that these two individuals are the ones that brought about creation and so therefore these two would make up the organization of authority and power so with this in mind let us now move to on to what we mentioned earlier about a title. We started. We stated that a title can point out two basic things. Now that we have covered the first basic thing, let us now consider the second thing uh, that we are dealing with when it comes to a ruler's title. So the first one uh, that we are dealing with, the second one that we are dealing with has to do will a ruler's occupation, okay, deals with a uh, occupation or the job that a uh, ruler would have. Now, so the second factor points out the ruler's occupation and we'll refer to this as the occupational power, the occupational power. When we generally speak in terms of occupation power, it could embrace what I would call the probing questions, the probing questions. A probing question is a question which helps us to get into the substance or the essence of that which we are dealing with. A probing question generally starts off with a probing word. The two probing words we'll be using are how and what. Uh, or well, we'll be dealing with the probing words of what and how. Those two words is what we will be dealing with. And the question we will be formulating with the probing words are the following. What it is talking about and how what is being talked about is attained So when we look at the topics at hand, we'll refer to them as the following. And the first question we'll be asking is, what is occupational power? And the second question we'll be dealing with, how is occupational power carried out? Furthermore, within these probing questions, we'll be pulling out some of them certain factors or aspects that are germane uh, to them. So let us first start with the first probing question is, what is occupational power? What is that? Occupational power, what is it? When we ask that question with the word what, aren't we... In a way, asking for information which specifies something. The specification or the specification details entails, well, the specification entails details describing or descriptions of something to be done. So, mainly what we see in occupational power as it relates to one's title, it specifies. What is to be done? So what was there to be done in occupational power? Well, let us go to Exodus 20 again in verses 10 and 11. Now it's, it says here, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Jehovah Elohim. Okay, so what is pointing out here is that we have what we call Lord God in in, in some Bibles but here it has Elohim, which is his name, and Yehoah, which is his title. And that's what we call Lord God. Okay, so when we look in verse 11, what we see here, it says, uh, for in six days, Yah, Elohim, or Lord God made the heavens and earth. Okay, so let's look at that. So when we talk about occupational power, we are talking about what someone will do, what they will do. So when we look at the occupational power, when it comes to Elohim, what was he to do? The Bible says he was to make, what was he to make? He was to make heaven and earth. So his his occupational power is what he does. What does he do? He makes, to make is to create and to make, there must first be a maker and to create, there must first be a creator. Elohim's occupation is that of making and creating because he is the maker creator. That's what he is. And so who he is, is the one that creates. And because he is a creator, That makes it plain to us that that's what his occupation is. So now our next probing question is, how is it occupational power carried out? That's what we wanna look at. How is occupational power carried out? Occupational power, how is it carried out? When we ask the question with the word how, aren't we in a way asking for a process by which something is being done. See, occupational power is what you do, but when you ask the question about occupational power and how it's carried out, you're saying what the creator does, what is the process in which he does it? That's what we want to see. So occupational power is carried out in a process because whenever you ask the word how for something, you're looking for a process. So this process of doing something entails a detailed way of performing that which is to be done. So mainly what we see in occupational power as relates to one's title spells out how something is done. Okay. We observe this process in the book of Genesis, okay? So we want to turn to Genesis and see how this process is carried out. How does he create? We know he's a creator and has occupational power, but we also want to know how does he carry it out? Now, the process of creation was by a system or a process, I might say, whereby Yah spoke, And when he spoke, things arranged into that which he articulated, he articulated. So what was the process? Elohim had what we call a vocal process, which is called let there be. Okay. Let there be. In other words, when he said, let there be whatever he wanted, that which he wanted came into existence. So let us look at the, let, let, let there be processed here in Genesis chapter one and verse three, it says, and Elohim said, let there be light. Okay. So when he said, let there be light, that was light. That was a process. Okay. okay. In verse six, it says, and Elohim said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. So he created a, uh, firmament by the process of let there be another one we can look at is in verse 14 he says and elohim said let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens okay so when he created the lights in the firmament of heaven how did he do it by a system of let there be so what we are understanding here is that when we deal with the the uh uh, uh, how the process is carried out, it was carried about by a system of let there be. Now, all of this we discuss so far boils down to what is in a seal. Okay. Now we discuss in Revelation chapter seven, verses three and four, how the word for seal in Greek is spread, spreads spread, sp- 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 that word is kind of like a tongue twister. Sprezzo. Now, sprezzizzo is spelled S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O. S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O. Sprezzio. Sprezzio. okay Now, sprezio means, carries a meaning either to seal or to Im- impress, okay? So when we look at Revelation 7, 3, and 4, we're talking about a seal, which means to impress. Moreover, when we read in Exodus 20, verse 8, it starts with the word remember. And this word remember comes from the Hebrew word zakar, which we stated earlier, and it means to impress. So when we consider the Greek word for seal, it means to impress, to impress. And the Hebrew word for remember also means to impress. Then when we ask the question, what are they impressing? In Revelation 7-3, it points out that the impression is to be made upon that of the forehead. Consequently, if Elohim is sealing his people in their forehead and we are to remember, which means to make an impression, then we must also draw the conclusion that the forehead is our brain and we are, and to be able to remember, we must use our mind. So when Elohim seals us in our mentality, he is putting a seal upon us in our minds now that we deal now that we have dealt with the ruler's right the next aspect we want to consider is the ruler's region we deal with the ruler's right he has a right to rule why does he have a right to rule because he created us he is the creator his title tells us he's the creator that's his right to rule now we want to look at the ruler's region What is his region of rule? In this aspect of a ruler's rulership, we are concerning ourselves with the jurisdiction of a ruler. When we consider the territory over which a ruler resides, it points out the extent of one's rulership. Consequently, if the area over which a ruler is over is defined, its boundaries which in other words the boundaries in which a ruler rules or reigns has certain boundaries so what we want to do is to see if Elohim's boundaries and what they are and when we discover what they are then we can know the extent of his rulership so the boundaries which one reigns over should give us an idea of the territory and how broad it is that his rulership contains. Now, when we consider the rulership, we should also uh, be able to find uh, 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 the region in which he reigns within a seal, or at least it should be implied. Now, since we have already definitely stated that the, the Shabbat commandment is Elohim's seal, then let us look into this fourth commandment and see if Elohim's jurisdiction is found in it. So if he's the ruler and he got the right to rule, then what is the extent of the territory in which he rules? Okay, let's consider that. So let us look in the seal, which is the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath commandment, and see if we see anything about where he rules and how far he rules. Okay, that's Revelation, not Revelation, but Exodus chapter 20, and we're looking at verse number 11. It said, For in the six days Yah made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and he rested on the seventh day. Okay, so the Bible tells us that he created heaven and earth, heaven and earth, okay? So here we find in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 11, that Elohim with six days, in in six days brought into existence both heaven and earth. And I would think that if someone created something, one would have the authority over that which one creates. Would not this certainly apply to Elohim who created the entire universe? Since it was he who himself created the celestial and the terrestrial real estate, then it is he who rules over heaven and earth. If he created it, naturally he would be over it. No matter how far we go on the celestial map in any direction, his rulership is there. When we travel the terrestrial map of the four corners of the earth, be it north, east, west, or south, therein lies his rulership. Now we can see In the fourth commandment, the seal is telling us what he rules over. He rules over heaven and earth. Now that we have covered this aspect, let us hasten on to our next aspect of rulership, which is a ruler's regency. Okay, the ruler's regency. Now, when we speak in terms of a ruler's regency, we are concerning ourselves with how long a ruler rules. Here upon the terrestrial sphere, the time limits of a ruler's reign could be until one's death or someone takes over one's empire or there may be times, time restraints which may come with a ruler who occupies the office of rulership. In a seal, this time factor should either be Implicit or explicit It should be seen or implied So let us again Revisit the Sabbath commandment To see if we can determine The longevity of Elohim's rule Let's see if we can find that Okay We want to see if we can find How long Elohim is to rule Uh, Here again We turn back to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 20 Okay And we want to consider Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and and see if we can discover uh, the time in which he should reign. And we will discover in a plethora of places, it speaks of several places about at least three scenarios of time, okay? Now, these three scenarios of time are, okay, we want to look at Revelation chapter uh, chapter 2, not chapter 2, but chapter 20. We want to look in chapter 20 and see, can we see these three scenarios of time that are presented? Now, when we look at uh, Revelation 8, I mean 20 in verse 8, 10, and 11, notice what it says in 8, 10, and 11. In verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day, okay, the Sabbath day. Verse 10 says, uh, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yehoah, okay? And then in verse 11 it says, uh, in the latter part of it, it says, and he rested the seventh day, wherefore Yah blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first type of uh, time that we're dealing with is Sabbath time. In three instances, he spoke about the Sabbath time, the Sabbath. Okay, there's another type of time outside of the Sabbath time, and this is called uh, the six days time, the six days. Now we notice in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, it says, six days shalt thou labor. So So it's talking about Six days. And then in verse 11, it says, For in six days, Yahuwah made heaven and earth. So we see Sabbath time being spoken of here. And also the six days. See, the six days is when he made the creation. Okay. Okay. And the Sabbath was when he had completed it. So we see Sabbath time and six days time. Okay. That was another time that is spoken of here and that is and there is the seventh day time spoken of in revelations 10:20 verses 10 and 11 let's look at that in verse 10 it says but the seventh day is the sabbath so it's talking about the seventh day okay and then we were looking at verse 11 it says at the latter part of this verse he says and he rests the seventh day okay so he stops at the seventh day so the seventh day and the Sabbath are one and the same. So what we are dealing with is simply this. We're dealing with Sabbath time. We're dealing with six days time. And we're dealing with the seventh day time. And we have already pointed out that the seventh day is the Sabbath and the Sabbath is the seventh day. So we know that the Shabbat comes around the sixth day after the sixth day, YAH created the heaven and the earth, and the Shabbat points out the seventh day of the week as the Shabbat. So we are also told from the book of Isaiah about the Shabbat. Let us turn to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And in the 66th chapter of Isaiah, we want to look at a couple of verses there. Okay, that's Isaiah chapter 66. And in that verse, we want to start with verse 22. Okay, Isaiah 66, 22. Now here it says, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith, Yah, so shall your seed and your name remain. So he said, when we got to establish a new heaven and a new earth, he says, Yah says, so shall your seed and your name remain. And then verse 23 says this, and it should come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh come to worship before Yah. Okay, what is this saying? This is saying that every week we have a Shabbat, every week. And every week we are given the command to worship him on the Sabbath day. And it says in a new world, we're going to still have the Shabbat. And we will continue to give him worship. So what we are experiencing here. This would mean that the Shabbat is eternal. Therefore, Yah's rulership is everlasting. So he doesn't have time restraints on his uh, his rulership. He doesn't have limitations on his rulership. His rulership will be eternal. It will be everlasting. It would be forever. So when we look at the rulerships of of a, a ruler when it relates to Elohim it points out that he, his rulership will be everlasting. And so when we deal with the everlasting rulership and his place of rulership and his, and his position of rulership, all of that is found right here in Exodus in the seal. So with all of what we have understood about what goes into a seal, It lets us know that these things that are in a seal is what is placed in our minds. So when our minds can comprehend the seal, it would have all of that in there. So with that basic foundation, what we are looking at simply is this, that makes up his seal. So next week when we get started, we'll be able to take the seal with the knowledge that we have and compare that with the mark of the beast, because we're going to see a lot of similarities between the mark of the beast and the seal. So we terminate this study with knowing the authority and the rulership of Elohim in the seal, and next week we'll be able to make some comparison with the mark. So we'll stop there.
0: So I want to reiterate, if you have any questions while we are still live, you can shoot us an email at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, you can shoot us an email at science of the covenant at gmail.com it's right in the bottom of the screen on your ticker if you want to shoot us an email we may be able to get to your question today so pastor you were saying that uh the son was involved in creating the world mm-hmm. well, well let me ask okay the son was involved in creating the world as with the father so it wasn't mm-hmm. just he wasn't just implemented in creating man but right. he was he was helping the father when he said, let there be light. He was beside him helping to create uh, this earth.
1: Right. Because mm-hmm.
0: I know sometimes I, I get to think that it was just the father, but it was the both of them. Mm-hmm. So
1: and I, mm-hmm. I think we brought that out of the earlier lecture. That when you look in the book of Colossians, I think it's the first chapter. It talks about how they were co-creators. Both the father and the son, they created the entire universe. Okay,
0: so mm-hmm. that in terms with the son also being a co-creator gives him power, just
1: as the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that brings him in, right? Okay. Yeah, he has the same authority. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was given that.
0: Now you said the uh, Shabbat is Ya seal. Is that the only seal? Or is uh, there other, you know, or is that his main seal that distinguishes his people?
1: Well, uh, it uh, that that is the main seal, and uh, we'll we'll be getting more into that. But yeah, that was one of his main seals. Is is, is the shabbat, and mm-hmm. in that seal, it points out, you know, his his right to rule, the region in which he rules, and the regency, you know.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, that was one of his main seals. Mm-hmm. And so when he can see that main seal within you, he knows that you wanted his children.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were saying, too, in the new world, we will still be keeping Shabbat. It won't just be here, but it would uh,
1: also That's go into correct. the new world. That's correct. In other words, uh, what we're seeing on this side of eternity is what we'll be doing on the other side of eternity, even though it'd be a, a lot different because mm-hmm. sin won't be there. But yeah, we we'll be keeping that eternally. so that means that his rule, his rule is eternal and he's pointing that right out in the covenant right mm-hmm. in the in the fourth commandment. All of that is right there in the fourth commandment when you dig it out. So
0: is, is, uh, so is there a verse specifically saying that in the new world too uh, we'll be keeping Shabbat because I know someone will probably ask a question is that is there uh, a specific verse that would point to that?
1: Yeah, that's what I was trying to uh, point out in my last text that I gave in Isaiah 66 uh-huh. and verses 22 uh, and 23. That points out specifically. He said in the new okay, world, yeah, yeah, that he'll point that out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when you go over to Revelation, uh, <clears throat> let me see, later. I think it might be a verse or two in Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation. Let me see what uh, Revelation, Revelation. Uh let's see. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. And uh, us uh, let see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's the let rubber All right. I believe uh, in Revelation chapter 22, 22. And we want to look at Verse two. Let's start with verse two. It says, "It's just talking about the river of life." It says, "In the midst of the street of it, talking about that river, Mm -hmm. and on either side of the river uh, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yield her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." Okay, what, what I want you to look at is that it says that that tree yields her fruit every month, okay? Okay, now, logically, in order to have a month, you have to have at least 30 or 29 days in order okay. to have a month, mm-hmm. okay? But what I want you to see here is that... Uh, uh, is that... If they are uh, to do this, if that tree is to bear uh, fruit every month and they are in heaven, what I want you to notice is a fact is that while they are in heaven, the Bible is pointing out to us that they will be still having months. But mm. the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, and that's Revelation 22, verse 5. I want you to understand this. It says, and there was no need, and that there was no night there, and there was no need of a lampstand, neither the light of the sun, for Yahuwah Elohim giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Okay, my my, my point is this, is that in heaven, you don't have the sun or the moon to give light. hmm you definitely wouldn't need the moon because there is no darkness in heaven.
0: Yeah.
1: You possibly use the sun, but the Bible says that there is no sun in heaven. The sun is underneath heaven, but it's not in heaven. Okay. Now, why, 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 why is that? Okay. Here, here it is, right here. Okay. It is. Uh, it is because it says. Uh, let me see. It, it says here, Yeho- it says that for Yehoah, Elohim, giveth them light. In other words, the light comes from the presence of the Father. Mm. Okay. okay. Okay, it comes from the presence of the Father. And then, uh, uh, if we, uh, let me see. Oh, uh, right, there's another text I want to bring out in conjunction with that before I've got a concluding point. All right. It and all right. Verse three, it says, "And there shall be no curse." In verse twenty-two, uh, three, it says, "There shall be no, no more curse, but the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall they serve." Okay, and it said, "And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads." Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so. When we look at this text, it is saying, even though that's not going to be in the night there, and you don't have the light of uh, of the sun, you're still going to have light from the presence of Elohim, and also you're going to have the light from the presence of Yeshua, the Lamb. So your light is coming from at least two sources; it's coming from the light of the Father. Uh and the light of the Lamb, which we know is Yeshua. And I believe in one place it says, uh, let me see, that even the light of the kings who would come into this uh, facility of heaven, they would bring their light, but their light would only be added to the light of the Lamb and the Father to give light in heaven. So my question is this, Uh if there is no light of the Son in heaven, How do they determine a month? How do they determine a month that every month this tree is going to produce a type of fruit? How do do they determine it? Down here, Uh we can say, well, there's 30 days, but how do they determine that? Well, we can only determine that Elohim is is a light of that city. And since he's a light of that city, just like in the creation week, when we first started counting days, we didn't really use the sun and the moon to count the days until he put them up there. But yeah. who was keeping time before that? Elohim was keeping time the first three days. But the fourth day, he said, I'm going to let the celestial bodies in heaven do what I was doing. So naturally, if the sun is not in heaven and they getting light and they're talking about a month, then this would naturally conclude that Elohim was keeping the time, just mm-hmm. like he did in the creation week. Mm-hmm. So if that, if that is true, that he was keeping time, then... It lets us know that in eternity he'll continue to keep time. And every time the seventh day rolls around in eternity, since he's the perfect timekeeper, we will be worshiping on the Shabbat. And the reason why we worship on Shabbat, because we worship in this world on the Shabbat, because he put the Shabbat in our mind, in our memory. Mm-hmm. This is the headquarters of our being, is our mind. So in our mind, if we're keeping it here, he said, if you keep it here, then you can be able to keep it in eternity because I identified you by the seal that you have.
0: Wow. That's a, that, wow, that's, that's, uh man, that's something deep because I never thought about there is no sun and moon in heaven. How do they keep time? And so you're right, it, had, it, would, it would boil down to the Father because, uh, even when the Bible speaks of the ancient of days, that points to time that mm-hmm. it sounds yeah, ancient like of days,
1: right. he's, he is time. Time is him. Well, I didn't think about that, but you're right. When he's ancient days, he's time. Yeah. And, and, and as we pointed out, can you smell time? <laughs> no. Can you taste time? No. Can you eat time?
0: No. Mm.
1: Can you touch time? They, they, it, out of all of the six senses we have, none of them, can, can deal with time. The only, only thing that you can deal with time is your mind. Yeah. And because yeah. your mind, he says, I'm going to make my seal in time. And it's going to be sealed in your mind. Mm. That's where it's going to be. It's not going to be on anybody's billboard or something. It's going to be in your mind. He said, when I look in your mind, I'm going to put my Father's name in your mind. And I'll be talking more about the Father's name because there's something profound about the Sabbath and the Father's name that we need to look at. But when he seals you, he's sealing you with, with, with your intellect. You're able to think. Uh-huh. See, animals the animals don't know when the Sabbath is coming around. The, the only thing they know is that, the, that Elohim has given to us that if we have animals, they don't work on the Sabbath. Uh-huh. So they, they can sense that when the Sabbath is coming around, they don't, have to re- they don't have to work. But we have been given a man and that man has been impressed with keeping the Sabbath. So the Sabbath every time it comes around reminds us of our great creator. So
0: the 144,000 that will be sealed. I'm just wondering, are those the ones first that's going to be sealed with the mind of Elohim about Shabbat, about the rules and everything to go out and for, for the one last push to go out Throughout the world to be able to tell people the right way from wrong, that they will have a clear understanding mm-hmm. of that. I'm wondering, is does that tie in to that with the hundred and forty-four
1: thousand? I, I believe so. I think those are his leaders in the last in the last days who would be able to clarify the covenant to the people. Uh-huh. Those hundred forty-four thousand, they're his special group. They will have the seal in their their foreheads Uh they they know the sabbath backwards and forward Mm. and like we said we're not going to be just dealing with the sabbat but we're going to be dealing with the mark of the beast system but we have Uh to see what the mark is first and what the seal is first and then once we see that we're going to be dealing with the system of it and i think we're in that system we'll see it a lot more clear
0: awesome So you definitely want to stay tuned for even more in depth as the pastor goes more in depth into the studying of the Mark of the Beast and the seal and Yah's seal. So we know what to look for and we know what to expect, especially as we see all these things is going on in these last days and as we get closer and closer to the end of times. With that, we will go to our next section. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Uh, this week and Let's Talk About That, I want to talk about prophecy because we see a lot of things going on. How do we know which things are prophecy and which ones maybe not? So if you have your Bibles with me, if you can turn with me into Revelation, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Again, that's Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. And it reads, For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this sefer, if any man shall add unto these things, Elohim shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this sefer, And if any man shall take away from the words of the sefer of this prophecy, Elohim shall take away his part out of the sefer of life and out of the holy city, And from the things which are written in this Sefer. Now, if we go into Strong's Concordance, the word prophecy comes from the Greek word prophetia, prophetia, which prophecy, a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of Yah whether by proving and admonishing admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden by foretelling future events. Uh, It is used in the New Testament of the utterance of Old Testament prophets of the prediction events relating to Christ's kingdom and his speedy triumph. Together with the consolations and the admonitions pertaining to it, the spirit of prophecy, the divine mind to which the prophetic faculty is due of the endowment and speech of the Christian teachers called prophets. The gifts and utterances of these prophets, of the predictions of the works of which set apart to teach of the gospel will accomplish for the kingdom of the Messiah. So, Pastor, I have a qu- some several questions in regarding prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see now um, that you know, just a few years, a year or two ago, we had the COVID. Now we're getting into the Ukraine and Russian war. Some people are saying these things is prophecy. How do we know what things are prophecy coming from Scripture that applies to? things that are going on today because a lot of people say all oh, these natural disasters uh the, it, you know they spoken of in prophecy but how do we know if it's it's speaking of that uh that occurrence that is prophecy from the scriptures
1: well uh i can answer that in maybe two or three ways so first first way uh we want to look at is that uh when you read here when it says um who say ever hears the words of this prophecy in this book, okay? He said, let no man add to it or take away from it, okay? So uh, when we consider that, what we're looking at is that, is this the first time that he's in the book of Revelation that he's given this, or has he given it before? Mm -hmm. But in actuality, he has given it before. So if he's given it before, then it, it, it behooves us to say, Number one is, uh, how do we know what's prophecy? Well, we got to go to the Word. If the Word says it's in prophecy, then I would agree with the Word. Uh If you're seeing something that is taking place today, whether it's the uh, truck drivers dealing with uh, this particular issue and the governors and stuff now saying we don't have to wear the mask and all of this for coronavirus, and you deal with Russia and what it is doing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when you deal with all of this, uh, how does it relate, relate to the to the to the scriptures? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let, let us look at something that is basic here, that, and this goes maybe to my second point: not only the fact that it's articulated in scriptures, but uh, uh, but also where else in scripture do we find this type of language, you know, uh, about prophecy?
0: Okay.
1: Well, well, when you turn to Deuteronomy 28 and maybe 29, mm-hmm. we, it, it teaches us a lot about the covenant. And there are places in Deuteronomy where, that tells us that in, in this, these particular books that Deuteronomy is something that was uttered by Elohim and it was the last book of the Torah or the last book of the Pentateuch in, in, in which he had given to his people uh, the blessings and the cursings, okay? Okay. So when you deal with the blessing and the cursing, this, he didn't wait until you, he got the book of Revelation to give us this. Uh-huh. They were already intact. Now, let us notice in, in uh, 28th chapter verse, verse 1, it said, And it should come to pass... If thou shalt hearken diligently unto my voice or the voice of Yah thy Elohim to observe and to do all his commandments which I have commanded thee this day that the Yah Elohim will set thee high above all the nations of the earth okay and then if you read further on down he would tell you all of the blessings that you would get okay all right, now, in the same uh, 28th chapter of uh, Leviticus, notice what it says. Uh, we're looking now at uh, verse, let me see, verse 25, I believe it is. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 25, it says, and Yah shall cause thee to be smitten. Well, let me see, I don't want to jump that fast. Let me. See. Oh, no, I want to verse 15, not 25. It said, but... In verse uh, 15, it says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of Yah, thy Elohim, to observe all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall be upon thee, and to overtake thee. Okay, so what is saying? That if you obey, you got the blessing. If you disobey, you got the curses. Okay, all right, now. What are the blessing and the cursing? Well, the blessing and the cursing can come in on the things that uh, you possess. It can come in on the fruit of your womb. It can come in on uh, your storehouse and all of your material things.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you can be plagued or cursed if you don't obey on your physical things, on the things you possess, on the things that you gather in. It can be on your family or whatever, there's there's a curse, okay? okay? So what are we looking at? We're looking at this. We're looking at the fact that in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book, it is telling us that there are prophecies that you can't add or take away from, which are the same prophecies in the Revelation that he had given it to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and the other books that they received the plagues, and the blessings, or the cursing, and the blessings, if they obeyed, or if they disobeyed, respectively. So, when you look at this particular text here about prophecy, you are seeing that these things have been going on all of the time, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: all of the time. It didn't wait until Revelation. So, when we see things over in Russia, and over in different places, what are we seeing? One of the curses in Revelation was, I mean, in the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't obey, then I'm gonna have foreign nations to come in and overtake you. Those are foreign nations, and because we haven't kept the covenant, and perhaps a lot of other people over there haven't kept the covenant because Russia do, and and uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, Russia and the Ukraine they 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 before the Iron Curtain or Iron Curtain went down under Khrushchev and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, they they still knew something about. Elohim, they knew something about God. That's why you have the Russian Orthodox Church, because they teach it over there. So if you're not going to go back, according to Deuteronomy, you will be cursed by other nations. So when you get to the book of Revelation, it's not a startling fact that this is going to come down. He's been telling you all the time. Now he's trying to tell us in the end of time, he's going to wrap this thing up and you're going to still see the cursing and the blessing of those who obey, whether it be the blessing, those who disobey, it's still going to be the curse. Now,
0: Okay, now, but in, in Deuteronomy 28, is, is that talking to about everyone, or was that specifically uh, Israel, Yashorel?
1: Well, uh, he, was, he was particularly talking about, uh, is talking to Israel, uh-huh. but, but we got to understand before Israel came into existence, you know, you had Abraham, you go back to Noah and Adam, uh-huh. And they were all a part of the of the covenant. So while he's talking to Israel at this time in history, when he, Moses wrote the Torah, uh, you got to understand that Moses came from the line of 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 uh, Israel, which was Jacob, and Jacob came from Isaac, and Isaac came from Abraham, and Abraham came from uh, uh, Terah, and uh-huh. take it all the way back. So yes, he's talking to Israel, but remember, Israel's job was to teach the world about Elohim that was Mm -hmm. their job just like when Yeshua was talking to the woman at the well and he said to the woman at the well he said uh even though you are a Samaritan woman he says salvation is of the Jews and at that time Jews represented Israel at that time so what he's basically saying is that uh salvation come from the Jews in the sense that that's why the 12 tribes of Israel was put here on the earth to teach the world about salvation Mm-hmm. Yeah, he spoke to them, but yet they were to take the message to to the entire world. And so when you talk about the 144,000 from the tribes of Israel in the book of Revelation, they are to take this message to the entire world like Israel was to do it in antiquity. We are to do it in our modern day. And when we take it to the world, they have a chance to reject or to accept. Well, I guess, too, one of the uh,
0: things is... Um you have two basically groups of people that saying they're Israel. You have the ones who are more lighter skinned Caucasians in so-called Israel, who come from the line of the Khazars, which ties to Russia and Ukraine. And then you have a lot of uh, African Americans, even Africans, black people who have been who, a lot of times fit the bill of um, Deuteronomy twenty-eight, who is scattered, saying mm-hmm. they are the true Hebrews and the true mm-hmm. Israel. So, um, you know, I want—I think it needs to be a little bit more clarification. Who would that apply to? Because I can see some people saying, "Okay, well, maybe are the Caucasians are the true Israel." You mm-hmm. know, especially the war that has broken out there, and they can say that Deuteronomy twenty-eight fits them in that region because that's where the Khazars came from.
1: Well, here you getting into uh, the etymology of 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 a Jew, and not only the etymology, but also the historical uh, trend of a Jew. Mm-hmm. Now, when you make mention of the Khazars, and we recognize that the Khazars were uh were a people that they, I think basically had rejected Islam because is- Islam was too strict uh-huh. and they did not they did not want Christianity because they felt it, it was not strict enough. Uh-huh. So these so-called Jews adopted the Khazars because the Khazars, they began to imitate what we would call the Jewish faith. Okay, Mm -hmm. but the point is that many of the what we call the Caucasian uh, Jewish people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that when you trace their lineage, they call them Ashkenazi Mm -hmm. or either the Sephardi Jews. Mm -hmm. But nowhere in the Bible that it says from the sons of Shem that he had the Kaza, that he had the uh, Sephardi or the Ashkenazi. Mm -hmm. See, Ashkenazi means German. Mm. So so when you have the Yiddish language, the Yiddish language was a combination of, uh, of German language with the Hebrew language, which made Yiddish. Uh-huh. Okay, so now, uh, since you do not trace their lineage back to Shem, uh-huh. then they cannot be the true descendants. Now, one of the things about the Hamitic people and the Semitic people in which the Jews came from, uh-huh. That a lot of times Semitic people were mistaken for uh, Hamitic people. You remember Joseph? Uh-huh. They said, "Well, when we went down to Egypt, we saw an Egyptian." Now Joseph was uh, was of the Semitic people because he was from Abraham. Uh-huh. And they said, "You know, we met this Egyptian." They didn't know it was a brother, their own brother. But they said, "We met we 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 met this Egyptian." And even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He was mistaken for an Egyptian, and mm-hmm. some 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 of the books. I think one of the books that you had recommended to me by Lee, Lee was pointing out that on some of the coins of the empire, they were black coins mm-hmm. because they had black features on them. Yeah, and so what was that saying? It was saying that back in the time of the Apostle Paul, that the Jews was black. So mm-hmm. the question is, how did they leave Egypt after the uh, the this? diaspora how did they leave black and come back white yeah how, how could that be yeah. okay so when you look in the book of revelation it says that many of those jews they're going to say we are jews but they are not yeah okay and then the other thing is it's it's not only determined by the skin color it's also determined by what you do because elohim says to the jews of his day Abraham, uh, 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 Elohim is able to raise up up these stones, and uh-huh. even John the Baptist said, he can raise up up these stones, Jews who had followed Abraham not because that they was the offspring of Abraham, but because they was doing what Abraham wanted them to do. And so Yeshua said, y'all going about to kill me, Abraham wouldn't have done that. Uh-huh. And he says, if he want to, he can take these stones and raise up children, Uh But the main thing that Elohim is looking for, are you doing the covenant? Are you doing his will to call yourself a Jew? Not that you you have a a lineage back to him, but Uh are you actually doing what he wants you to do?
0: So it's more important that you do what he asks you to do than to say that your lineage
1: is Israel. Right, right. Because he said many of it, many of us, we can chase it back to Abraham. Yeah, and John the Baptist even was out outspoken. He says he said he says to so the people who call themselves they from Abraham. He said the whores and the prostitutes they are gonna get to the kingdom before you do because you're not doing what he says.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the way we should look at it. It shouldn't be a fight as I am, you're not, you're not, I am. You know, it's more. It all boils down to if we are doing what he says that we and what we're supposed to do, as he says, that's mm-hmm. what is more important than anything. You mm-hmm. know, not your bloodline, because yeah. at the end of the day, all of our bloodline just goes down to two people, Adam and Eve, at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah,
0: that's what the Bible
1: says. He made one blood all nations. Yeah.
0: Um. We had a question to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaiah 66, 23 says from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh in the new Jerusalem. Won't we all be in spiritual bodies and not in flesh bodies? And second question is, so doesn't Isaiah sixty six twenty three happen while we are in our flesh bodies here on earth?
1: Okay, now, she's dealing with the spiritual bodies and also uh, uh, we have flesh bodies. uh,
0: uh, Okay, her first question, let me uh, reread it. Her first question is, in the New Jerusalem, won't we all be in spiritual bodies and not in flesh bodies?
1: Well, uh, let's look at it this way. Uh, When you talk about a a spiritual body, uh, when we speak in terms of a spiritual body. Uh, Are we talking about that when we get to heaven, will we not have a body, but we will just be spiritual? Or are you saying that in the new heavens, in the new earth, that we will be spiritual bodies in the sense that we will have physical bodies, but we will be governed by the spirit? Okay, the question may need some clarification because we won't just be spirit in heaven. And even when Yeshua rose from the grave, He didn't just appear uh, to us in in a in a in a spirit, because He told His disciples, "Come, come and examine Him." He said, a "Spirit," He said, "A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see Me have." So when we are resurrected, we'll be be resurrected with uh, the spirit to go back into the body. This is what the resurrection is about. But if you remember, when he made the first Adam, he made him physical first, and then he put the Spirit in him. He was to be governed by the Spirit, but when he broke the covenant, then the second Adam had to come. But the second Adam was spiritual first, and then when he put on flesh, then he became uh, flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about a spiritual being, are we saying that we'll be total spiritual? And if we say we're going to be total spiritual and don't have a physical being, then it wouldn't be no need to have the tree of life uh, there to be able to eat because the spirit does not eat food or anything. It doesn't need it. It's life itself. So I would say the first part of your question is that, uh, yeah, we will be spiritual, but we will still have physical bodies because when he first made man, he had both a physical body and a spiritual body. And when he sinned, then the carnal nature took over, which was the flesh, and made the spirit subservient to the flesh. But when we are recreated, we will make the flesh subservient to the spirit. The spirit or the Holy Spirit will guide us rather than our flesh. And so we will have bodies of flesh because everything that lives must have a body and a spirit. Uh-huh. Even insects have a body and a spirit. Animals have a body and a spirit. When Yeshua came, he had a body and a spirit. When he talks about the Ancient of Days, he has a body and a spirit because it uh-huh. talks about his hair and, and the stuff that he have, yeah. And they give physical descriptions. So so when you talk about the spiritual, it, it will still be a body, but it will not be got governed by the carnal desires of the flesh, but by the spirit and the spirituality that comes from Elohim's spirit to our spirit. This is why Yeshua told the lady at the well, we will worship him in spirit and in truth, not that we won't have a body, uh-huh. but that the body would be governed by the spirit. Now, the next part of the question that you were dealing with is aren't we in flesh and blood here? Is that what he was saying?
0: It uh, reads, yeah, so doesn't Isaiah 66, happen while we are in our flesh bodies here on earth,
1: okay. Uh, in other words, that uh, we're dealing with Isaiah sixty-six. Yes, and we are saying, does not that happen while we are here on earth? So when it says mm-hmm. that that would happen while we are on on earth, I'm I'm I, I, I'm taking it to mean that. Uh, we'll worship him while we here on the earth. Is that, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I need maybe a little clarification, but you see, read the question again. Maybe I can, I can pull something out of it. He
0: said, okay, uh, I'll read the whole thing. Cause I think it ties in to the first okay. part of the question. Okay. She says, mm-hmm. Isaiah 66:23 says from one mm-hmm. Shabbat to another, shall mm-hmm. all flesh. Then she asked the question in the new Jerusalem, won't we all be in spiritual bodies and not in flesh bodies so doesn't Isaiah 66:23 happen while we are in our flesh bodies here on earth so i guess she's asking um, what it states in 66:23 mm-hmm. does that happens here while we're on earth um,
1: oh, okay here's where here's where i'm having my problem mm-hmm. when you said when it when that happens here on earth when you say that happens, what is that? What, what is happening here? Are you saying that we are worshiped from one Sabbath to another or, or something particularly you're talking about just with the flesh? So let me answer it two ways Then uh, We are keeping the Sabbath here right now in the flesh, okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they say, I said, all flesh shall worship before me. Now, this is talking about the new heaven and the new earth, all flesh worshiping him. So when it's talking about all flesh, it is talking about all created beings and all of those who have been resurrected from the dead and those who have been living on the earth uh, when when he comes. And as a result, they would also worship him. So, yeah, they'll be worshiping him in flesh, Mm -hmm. but this worshiping in flesh is on this side of eternity, they still have a body, but as they worship him in spirit, okay? Now, I can say this is that uh, when all flesh worship him on this side of eternity, that they won't be in the glorified bodies until they change. Uh-huh. But in the new earth, heaven and new earth, then the apostle Paul says this this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. That's not talking about the spirit. They're talking about the physical body, with no longer decay. Okay. Now, for the for the person who is going into the grave, the Apostle Paul says this corruptible. In other words, when something is dead, it it it, it becomes corruptible. So Paul is saying, once those corruptible come from the grave, they're gonna be incorruptible because you won't be able to die physically again. And then when he talks about the mortal. The mortal is talking about all of the living people that when he starts a new heaven and earth, they never died, but their bodies were still uh, mortal. They were capable of dying. But now he's saying that the immortal, in other words, I'm going to give you an immortal body now. In other words, your physical body and your spiritual body are both going to have the same length of life in it, but you'll never be able to die. So what we're seeing is, yes, all flesh will worship him. But you're going to call, you are talking about the incorruptible flesh, and you are talking about the, uh, the immortal bodies that will worship him in, in spirit throughout eternity. But you will still have a physical body, but it will be in a glorified state. So
0: I, I think I, I, think I kind of uh, get where she may be getting at. So basically, uh, Isaiah 22 and 23 is talking about the new earth after this earth has been done away with, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So basically, from my understanding, too, is that we will still be flesh because Adam and Eve were still flesh. It's just that their form was changed when Mm -hmm. sin entered. And from my understanding is when everything is done with, won't we return to that form
1: as Adam and Eve were? Yeah, right. It'll be a glorified form. Okay. This is this is why we'll be able to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, not good and evil, tree of life. Yeah. It, that,
0: it, that, <laughs> uh, so because um, they were flesh, mm-hmm. and we know that Yah and His Son created us after their likeness. So we mm-hmm. know, and like you also said, that they are also flesh because it describes, like you said, His hair. It describes His feet, the color of His feet. So we know they are. Uh, flesh and not just spirit, right? Yeah. So we we hope that uh, that may that answers your question. If not, if uh, you just shoot us an email, maybe next week we can try and get to your question, or we can even have you want to ask it if it helped ha- if uh, the question wasn't cleared up for you.
1: Yes, definitely. I uh, send it back if 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 it were not asked, it just send it back and uh, we'll, we'll we'll tackle it again. All right, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to wrap up this one? Father, again, we're so thankful that we can uh, just come together and to worship thee and to look in your word and see the great blessings and the benefits of studying your word and to be able to apply it to our lives. Realize, O oh, Heavenly Father, many have had death and their sickness is going around, that you would continue, O oh, Heavenly Father, to minister to those who are bereaved and to be able to give healing to those who are sick. And when you raise them up off of their deathbeds and their sickbeds, Lord, they may be able to return to you to glory. So as we face another week, we ask that we may be refreshed on this day to be sanctified and blessed that as we go into another week, we can be able to pursue the course that we are pursuing with even a greater zeal and with a greater delight to get into your word to find out what is your will for us in these last days that we can so live it that when the Messiah comes, we can be ready to meet him in peace. Continue to bless my host, continue to bless me, continue to bless those who listen. Continue to give us the things that we need, that we may be able to have life at its best. And when it's all over, we can say, heaven was cheap enough. So bless, keep guide and direct us this day and into a new week is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
0: Want to reiterate, we are live every Shabbat every saturday at 1 p.m eastern standard time make sure you tune in if you aren't able to tune in or you miss us well you can still listen to our regular podcast audio podcast and uh catch up on us there That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Eloheka, he is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and the mercy with him that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, shalom.